Uh-huh. Well, I suppose I probably should start by introducing you. So you are Patrick Schumacher. Yeah. You are a very prominent architect and one of the most prominent architectural theorists as well. Thank you. You are principal of Zaha Hadid Architects. Uh, and you also lecture at the Architectural Association, is that right? Uh, that's right, yeah. I'm teaching yeah. Um, Master Degree Studio, mm. which we call the Design Research Lab, mm. and uh, for over 20 years. And this Zadid Architects is kind of filled with ex-students, <laughs> all the way from the board of directors to the new entries mm. for over 20 years. So I've yeah. also been teaching elsewhere. and. We bring on students from there, but we also use these arenas for research. And there's a direct translation from a lot of the experiments and ideas we first try in the teaching arena, and then bring them slowly into competitions or into our internal research groups, and then into uh, practice. Mm. And there are real practice relevant researchers so far they all end up in practice <laughs> yeah well it seems to me that, that this practice is probably one of the most prominent ones in terms of actually combining theory and practice and part of the reason why i sort of started this podcast was to yeah. have the conversations that i didn't see going on in practice predominantly mm-hmm. um so how how do you sort of apply the the research that you do academically and in terms of theory on a day-to-day level uh, within the practice? Well, first I want to say that the major theorists of our field have all been, and mostly have been, practic- practicing architects. Um, Alberti was the first, and go through, you know, Palladio and Serlio and many others, including John Sohn and Schinkel and Semper, um, and as well as Le Corbusier, who was a major figure. Uh, and many others. I mean, there, is, there are exceptions. So there's also a role for, in the division of labor for theorists um, who deepen that research. But it, the, I, I believe that's an important uh, reflection on my part that uh, in my theorizing is, is very practice-oriented and practice-informed. I mean, Rem Kohler is another one you could mention of the, of the, of the major figures um, who have all been practicing architects. Mm. Um, so how does it relate? It relates on many levels. So first of all, there's an overview orientation of which, what, where is society going? So architectural theory has to be embedded in the theory of society and its prospects of development and progress so that you know where to invest your career in and you're not some kind of a dying sidearm mm. or in, 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 in uh, end up in ultimate irrelevancy. So, so that's the first thing. Uh, which, uh, and I've came to architecture from philosophy, political theory, economics, social theory. So, uh, early on, uh, grasping, uh, what's going on, uh, what are the, uh, internal disciplinary revolutions, what they mean and how they tie in with, uh, that's a social transformation. That's very important because otherwise you're running down. Mm. You know, you're in the, on the wrong side of history, as they say. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so that's the first thing, and that's, that's the overarching headline, and that made is also something which this firm is kind of, why are we so successful? Why are we moving from four when I started here 30 years ago, and we're 440 now, uh, with a global reach, uh, because we're on the right side of history. 
<laughs> so that's the headline, but, but it also works through. Um, then it informs particular investigative strands, what one should look at and how one, well, how one positioned oneself, for instance, with respect to urbanism, with respect to uh, architectural paradigms. And then one looks at to actually work accordingly and deepen the skill base, make the experiments, apply that with confidence. And also when you present, make explanations, uh, even if it's difficult and unusual and innovative, there's a rationale behind this. You also win through beauty and, and let's say compelling uh, visualization. So making, making plausible and credible an innovation. That's what we have visualization media for, but mm. we also need to underline it with a, with a rationale and that can be delivered. And if you, if you thought it through, you become quite eloquent on that level yeah. as well. Well, that's what I see as missing from most practices is that, that answer to the question, why do you make certain design choices? And like the, the sort of tracing it back in terms of the theories that you're basing all of your design decisions on. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's, it's been interesting to me seeing just how integrated your theories seem to be with a sort of wider social and political uh, agenda as well. Um, and it informs the next, always the kind of um, future-oriented current research, which hasn't fed in yet necessarily in all, to, all the project, but will be coming. And I can say it with confidence. So the kind of methodologies we're also developing, there will be compelling practice methodologies mm. sooner or later. Of course, in a complex field like architecture, particularly with that level of, let's say, um, uh, uninformed and anti-theoretical uh, dilettantism and lack of proper um, um, discursive kind of engagement for most architects, there's an enormous amount of quackery in the field. Mm. And that, 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 is, that is a difficulty. That's what I'm struggling with. And that's why I believe we need this field uh, needs to attract uh, a brighter and a new cast of characters. Uh, it's, uh, than in the previous era, which was an era of brainstorming and, and let's say artistic searching for new modes and moods of, of working after the crisis of modernism. You had, you have this kind of strange, uh, art world style, uh, culture and sensibility in the schools of architecture. There are, there are art schools and you get away with, uh, a very, very intuitive, um, um, uh, self-conception of, of what architecture is and what you are about and what you're doing, mm. which is kind of anti-discourse nearly. So that's, that's hampering. Uh, and, and that's, that's what I've been struggling with. So, so you, you, we, we advancing in a smaller group of people, let's say, compelling, uh, propositions, uh, where, but, but, but there's quackery all around. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am, I'm, Always, I'm interested in, especially, I mean, we were talking a second ago about your, your paresis of architecture. Yeah. Um, and it seems to me there's occasionally, every now and then, someone like yourself will put, put forward a sort of a holistic work like that, that's sort mm -hmm. of an integrated theory of architecture. And I've just finished reading um, Nikos Salangaros' book, A Theory of Architecture, which does sort of a similar thing. Um, but they never seem to have the effect on the profession that perhaps sort of the authors like yourself might want them to. Um, uh, so why do you think that is? Why is it that sort of really, really well put together works don't trickle down? Um, well, 
that's a, that's a difficult question. I mean, I don't think it's always been the case that they don't trickle down and they will eventually trickle down and they will spread. Um, because there's also, this is also part of a movement around something like parametricism, uh, which has been very strong and growing. It got kind of cut off a little bit and, 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 and dispersed through the financial crisis in the last 10 years of stagnation. But, mm. um, but within that movement, there has been, uh, also a lack of, let's say, um, societal rationales reflection so 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 there's 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 an engagement it became a little technocratic or uh, technique oriented I mean, it's very important initially it was more philosophically oriented it had more connection with 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 an understanding of new social dynamics and it's intuitively there but it's not um widespread in its kind of arguments but there is a movement and I think things will spread around, and I'm building out some my own following ship. But I think Le Corbusier and the and the early modernists that was quite a compelling story if you look at it in mm. terms of uh, this was also a movement theory led um, uh, with treatises like towards new architecture and and the city of tomorrow, the two books of Le Corbusier. But there were others as well. There were earlier. Uh, anticipations, Otto Wagner, modern architecture, etc., and and then there's a whole group of uh, thinkers, writers, and uh, the institution like the Bauhaus that worked and that took over, mm. and from a small nucleus expanded out, and then really transformed the totality of the built environment and the world of artifacts, and that uh, gave the planet a new physiognomy mm. all the way through to everything we touch here. <laughs> Uh, and as well as urban environments. So, and that has to happen again, will happen again, can yeah. happen again. And do you think we're amongst that movement or the beginnings of that? Well, shift we have again? the movement. We are, I don't know if sometimes kind of, uh, try to think where we are. If, if modernism starts somehow in, in, in 1910, but there's still, there's still Art Nouveau, it still has to cleanse it, kind of exp expressionism. These would be cleansed out. 1920 is a proper takeoff moment. Um, and where are we in that? I mean, we, let's say the first 10 years until early thirties, um, uh, we had that from the nineties to the early two thousands. We had a, we had a similar place mm. with respect to early manifesto projects. They had the Barcelona pavilion and the Villa Savoie. We had, we yeah. had a series of, uh, uh, manifesto projects, FOAs, for instance, Yokohama and so on. And then uh, they run into the kind of fascism and World War II kind of disruption, and we are running into kind of another disruption, which is a kind of lack of nerve with respect to modernization, mm. um, um, uh, the, the stagnation, the world financial crisis, European debt crisis, Arab Spring, I mean, all this, and the, and the discipline not, not continuing the project and actually all the schools which had elite schools and, and prime, uh, let's say, uh, leading schools were uh, defrayed, like the Bauhaus was kind of mm. <laughs> closed down. Uh, so, that, so making this parallel, so where are we? We are somewhere, you know, in that, in that strange mood and mode in the, in somewhere in the 30s where, yeah. where, where modernism was, 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 was already killed in, in Germany and hadn't yet uh, taken off in Britain or, or America. Mm. So in a kind of limbo, but that doesn't mean that it's coming. It's, it is coming. There's nothing else. Everything else that's going on is either this kind of pompous, I do what I like kind of thing, uh, uh, one liner phrases, Sunday speeches, uh, but 
promoting what? Promoting retro. Mm. And what they're building here, uh, you know, a thousand projects in London, they're all retro. You could have built and designed these 80 years ago. Neo-rationalism. And if that's what we're looking at as the solutions to contemporary uh, societal pressures and opportunities, we can shut down the discipline. Because mm. if after 80 years of discourse research, formal research, reflection, building up of tools and methodologies, we're doing that, shut them all down. We're not an academic discipline. We're a craft and nothing mm. else. And, 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 and any, any rationalization of these kind of projects is only to do with, um, you know, there's some kind of engineering advances under the hood. But that's not, that's not architecture. Mm. Uh, that's engineering. That there's now a triple glaze on insulation and, and, and that of a smart, uh, heating system and, and some kind of sensibility calculation doesn't imply that architecturally with respect to our discipline, we have contributed zero. And that ties in with the kind of utter backwardness and bankruptcy of, of, of the discipline as an intellectual force. I mean, we're like, you know, it's like I'm sometimes compared to, um, you know, sociology emerged as a, as a proper discipline through, through a series of canonical works in the late 19th century. Finally, under trying, you know, uh, uh, culture and science reflectively coming to terms with what was happening in terms of modernization in a kind of capitalist context. Mm. And before that, you had kind of a literary, humanist kind of uh, all over the place kind of uh, hints and, and, and so, so there's a formation of a discipline. Our discipline has to yet to be refounded and, and, and formed once more. Yeah. We don't have a proper discipline. Yeah. Well, that's, that's one of the things that sort of I'm struggling with is how do you break that deadlock of the sort of the, the dead end of the discipline as it currently is? And how do you, how do you create well, the that? Is, the problem is this. We, the, the, it starts with the discursive culture, challenging the discursive culture where, where it's good enough that you say, Oh, well, I like this. I'm doing it my way and you can't, you know, there's a kind of shutting, shutting down, criticizing each other, taking each other to task, uh, and, and posing the problem and positing the problem of collectively, uh, defining discursively, controversially the direction of the built environment and the discipline and the disciplines and the built environment's contribution to societal, uh, flourishing. In, under new condition, you know, you need concepts like what are concepts I use, suppose, for this network society, for instance, which is so different from the uh, mechanical mass production society of the 1950s, 60s. So, um, we need to start there and then understand what are the, what, so what are the challenges for that in terms of densification, in terms of mixed use, in terms of life patterns, which aren't nine to five anymore, and, and certain distinctions between um, work and leisure are falling down. We have globalization. We have so many, new challenges, uh, the level of dynamism and complexity in, in, in the life process. What do we, what can we bring to that? Um, so I, my theory of, of society is there's an underlying, um, prosperity engine through technology, primarily the active driver. Um, and then there's a number of framing systems and, and subsystems. Uh, which come into play. Politics is another one. It's also outmoded. We are, we're still living with the politics of the 1950s. Mm. <laughs> so that, that I've been repoliticized, but, but they're also independent. We can do a lot with an architecture uh, before politics is kind of also opened up. 
although there are also synergies of, of prosthetizing. So, so I feel that partly what's going on in London in terms of the backwardness of the architecture has also to do that with the clamp down on, on innovation on, and typologies mm. and, and, and urban, urban planning regimes. Um, uh, there has also been a kind of freeze. Uh, so there, there, these are kind of conspire to freeze us out of innovation potentials. So that's why I also got politicized to it. But, uh, you could, I mean, these are several, there are several of those. Um, and I think, as I said, it starts with a kind of discursive culture and, and also, which, which is, which is at conferences, but also at, um, at schools of architecture. Mm. Schools of architecture, you have, um, there's no curriculum. There's no, um, uh, the kind of silos and, and, uh, idiosyncratic, um, researches and, there's a kind of lit, uh, live and let live attitude. And my analysis is that this has to do with the fact that this was appropriate when modernism, there was a crisis and the canons were in question. The recipes were bankrupt and there had to be a new start. And that requires at that point, starting from scratch, <laughs> mm. you know, you get into interested in philosophy, fun, trying to understand, uh, you know, there was also modernization theory was also bankrupt. So you got into all this kind of post-modernist deconstructivism uh, that was absorbed, but also artistic regimes. And you get a kind of brainstorming chamber and, and cast of character, which is very different. There's no, you know, it's kind of the Wolf Pricks, Azadis, Frank Gehrys of this world made an impact. And rightly so, the great innovators who, who but they also were tied up with, with theorists. Mm. Uh, with, 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 with Peter Eisenman, with Bernard Schumi, Ram Kohlhaas, I mean, in that deconstructivism group, for instance, which I'm very familiar with. And you had, and, and, but it, it was right to have at that point something like the AA, where there's an enormous degree of, um, unboundedness. I call it the brainstorming chamber. And mm. that's actually what the art world is. And then the kind of assimilation between a discipline like architecture and art made sense temporarily. It's actually what you found also at the beginning of the Bauhaus. Uh, if you look at, uh, you know, Gro somebody like Gropius and Mies and later Hannes Meyer and next to him is kind of something like Itten or Schlemmer. I mean, you just have to look at their faces and uh, demeanor, um, of, you know, or Malevich. These, are, these were mystics. Mm. But it's interesting as you look at the Bauhaus trajectory in the mid-20s, they've been, they, they were gone. There, you know, there was a kind of getting serious and you had, you, you, and, and uh, you had Kandinsky there. And all of this was interesting. In the Russian avant-garde, there was a lot of flourish at the very early ages, stages. And then, uh, towards the end of the decade, um, the, 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 the selections had taken place, the, the inspirations had taken root and you were in a working through, working out and rolling out mode. Mm -hmm. And we had gone through that. So when we, when we started in the early nineties, there was an incredible, uh, electrification of a whole group of people of new potentials, new ideas, new concepts, new philosophies. And 10 years later, we're in a kind of down to business of, of working through the implications and starting first buildings, working. And so, so, and that got halted. So that's what I'm saying. We're kind of stuck in this kind mm. of thirties limbo. Yeah. Well, I think um, one of the things I think has put you, or I, I suspect is, is a reason for you 
being in such a prominent position, especially yeah. theoretically now, is because of your sort of philosophical and mathematical background. Yeah. You've been able to integrate those two disciplines with architecture and with a sort of interest in society and politics as yeah. well to form a sort of uh, cohesive intellectual framework effectively yeah. and and it always amazes me how little talk of philosophy there is in architecture schools especially and mathematics um given how relevant they are especially on the theoretical side of architecture but Look, also on the practical is, side the, to some extent it's natural and it's difficult to bring everybody up to scratch but when we in the late 80s when i we had um we were reading the and gautery at school of architecture and that again went through for another five Mid, and after the mid 90s. Um, and uh, of course, in the 80s was also a lot of reading of, of Derrida, Foucault. Um, and that made sense, as I said, because this is the idea of kind of resetting the, 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 the fundamental categories and principles and, um, and having therefore a reflection on what, it, what, what purposes are and how they're set and how language operates and uh, what, what, um, uh, um, the, the categories from before, uh, form follows function, et cetera, how they, what was simplistic about it. And so that's, that was happening. Now, and it makes sense to some extent that, that, you know, you, you can have these conversations number of years and you reach somewhere. You weed out and you win these arguments and there's a new set of categories to work with and then work through. You know, uh, so we have, you know, we go from the kind of, uh, and, and there have been authors, not, you know, who've been leading this into this, like Gustav Alexander said he's not a tree. And then you compare this with the rhizome versus aborescent structures and you know which way, way to go, smooth versus dry, the space, methodologically abstract machines. I mean, there are probably a lot of the Deleuze Gautari kind of vocabulary, um, um, things like, and co concepts like field conditions, continuously differentiated fields. Um, ideas like folding. So these came together and you, and then you're working through it, then you start, and this is what happens at AADRL. The kind of bookshelf shifted gradually from, um, from reading these texts to learning these techniques and you have software manuals taking more and more space. Mm -hmm. And when you're in the, and, and so there, there's only kind of limited amount of time and there's cycles of innovation, which have also, if you don't go through, the basics anymore every uh, now and then. And physics and all the sciences, they would, if they, ha they have a kind of paradigm crisis, then the philosophers come, come on. But if they're working through uh, a, a, a delivery of a, you know, whatever, uh, a mm. new power station or rocket, the philosopher is, kind yeah. of, <laughs> I know. Well, this know? Is, I see this so, is what so I've seen. This is, this is kind of dialectically in this sense. The problem is always then to, uh, limited time. So when we do these, when we bring in new generations of students on, we take it for granted. We have all this history and understanding, mm. and they only come in on the on the on the on the on the end of that. That's difficult. So they, ideally, they should kind of be brought up to speed, mm. and we still try to do that in some of our seminars. But that's a difficulty. So then you have you, you only those who've been around for the fifteen twenty years uh, have the full depth of and robustness to defend that also on philosophical grounds, on political grounds. Um, and then the kind of latest crop, those who invest all their time in executing and uh, creative uh, uh, code writing, etc., they are then vulnerable to a 
they could be kind of tripped up mm. uh, by by uh, by a philosopher or something. That's that's a challenge. But I want to come back to this. I mean, underneath all that is um, we need a much more mutually task-taking and and robust and frank uh, debate. We need to accept that what we're doing is subject to peer criticism and it's not our personal choices mm. and this idea of a self-realization through your personal work is really get, these concepts get in the way and they're also defense mechanisms uh, and you shouldn't be allowed to just and if you if you're dabbling in in a, a district of, of, of a major city uh, you, we shouldn't let each other get away with this dabbling and quackery mm. And that's a tough one. Problem is, of course, if you have a, still a majority in in a kind of quackery stage, uh, then you have you don't have the momentum, um, and that's why I need kind of um, combatants mm. who support uh, the ramping up of the rhetoric the, 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 in, and not letting everybody get away with their mm. shallow uh, claptrap. Yeah, no, well, that's part of why I'm having these conversations because I, I want yeah. to sort of open up the intellectual sphere effectively for, for architectural theory and for people to actually justify what it is they're Absolutely. doing. Absolutely. Because there's, there's just a complete lack of anyone sort of putting forward any real logical arguments about why it is they make their particular choices in most practices. And the, the profession is really suffering for that, I think. Yeah. Um, it's very constrained uh, um, and, yeah, quite banal and... Um, the kind of i mean if you if you do the more you do um just repli replicate well rehearsed and corroborated standards then they might still be anachronistic you don't need theory so mm. i mean the, the whole theory thing has tied in with innovation so that's why in 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 if you have this kind of era of and also theory then accelerates innovation but it's comes as a necessity so if you have uh, you know the design discipline um, or architecture starts as a as an academic design discipline with the renaissance mm. so it's before that or the, the everything before that i call tradition bound building it's indistinguishable from the vernaculars mm. and there is you just do what has always been done and you tinker a little bit you adapt and you have it's very dogmatic and like every all societal processes were routine, dogmatic routines. Would you even, even include the Gothic? And Gothic is a transition phase. Gothic yeah. is transition. Romanesque is just a kind of uh, bastardized vernacular <laughs> of <laughs> you know. And anyway, you have to say these are some monuments where there's a little bit more of a attention. There's one church and one palace, mm. not even a palace uh, uh, in in a whole city, and the rest is just the vernaculars, right? And the Gothic, of course, there's some sophistication, but it's not architecture because we don't have architects. We don't have fully designed structures. They grow over 100 years through, through kind of uh, certain rules and methodologies. Yes, there is something, and there's no, there's no theory, no discourse. So it starts with Alberti, it starts in the Renaissance, and it is important to see only in the Renaissance you have a fully designed uh, design Mm. before building and maybe also as an effective contribution to discourse without ever building. And that is because you have a full complete set of drawings plus visual simulation through perspective. Mm. And then you can, and then you also have theory. You have to defend because if you don't, if you do something different from what has always been done, what's, what's expected, 
you have to explain yourself, you have to make an argument, and you also have to show through simulations, through visualization, to 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 overcome that initial you know resistance. I mean, and, and that is fair and right. So that's why architecture as uh, has to come together and is born with uh, drawing, perspective, and text, mm. explanatory text. And, and, and if you look at Roberti, it's very interesting because he is tying the good architecture to the good society, the city, good city layout, it's the good police, the good city-state, and the, and, the, and, the, and the villa is the household and the way it's functioning. And uh, so there's a strong reflection of obviously societal purposes and, and the advantages mm. of, of these, um, um, new repertoires and an emphasis on innovation, a very strong and en emphasis on originality and innovation. Mm. Um, and, uh, so, so that's for me important. So theory has been, uh, incredibly important. And, and of course you can accelerate the, the development of the built environment, you can, you know, you, you, you draw up an ideal city and you critique it and, and you, 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 you have an evolutionary process, which before was only in the real mm. on site, which takes decades transferred onto paper. And you can kind of yeah. uh, simulate and critique. And then the, the acceleration, what's then happening with the sense of rollover of kind of ideal city states, uh, sorry, city plans. Um, uh, but also then moving from, from the Renaissance into mannerism, into Baroque, into neoclassism, this, these, these kind of, um, um, transformations and the way they tie in with societal transformation and progress. So you have actually architectural theory, innovative thinking and arguments. And, but also this is the same time where you have political theory, uh, guiding, um, uh, political reforms. You start to have the early years of economic theory and, 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 and these kind of discourse, discourses in the form of critical literatures. Mm. And that's been modernity and that's been a great accelerator. Um, and, uh, so that's why I'm, you know, theory is incredibly important. It's not, is uh, is of course, and it is, of course, guiding practice. Mm. It's not also sometimes, it's not a kind of la pola, its own kind of, nice reflections and feeling smart <laughs> yeah. and being making aperceus or, or making make, making kind of sophisticated commentary and that's not what it's all about it needs to be and if you read my works and, and the autopsy is highly theoretical but it's consciously is looking looking forward to and has a and and and, and arguing for um theses which have practical relevance mm. which orient you uh, where to go, where not to go, uh, heuristics, methodologies, values to pursue and, 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 and kind of research programs going forward. So volume one is kind of the new framework for architecture. Volume two is the new agenda for architecture. And I've set out research program, which I'm working through right now. Mm. Um, like, like, uh, you know, this, what I call a semi-logical project, for instance. And I'm working on volume three, which is a new practice for architecture. Well, <laughs> so bringing it, bringing it, you know, bringing it, to bear, and, and that was also what, you know, if you look at, um, um, City for Tomorrow, it happened. I mean, mm -hmm. I have this lecture where I show you the, the, the images of, um, the, uh, City for Three Million Inhabitants, 
and and tons of photographs of 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 uh, the built world from the from the fifties and sixties. Mm. Yeah, well, it's it seems to me that there's a, a, a big gap between the theorizing that goes on in, in academia and in, in written works and that kind of thing and the actual practice. Now, there's a lot, a lot of practices that sort of talk a good game effectively, but then don't seem to be implementing what it is that they're talking about. And just like you say, sort of regurgitating the same kind of designs over and over again, which with no real sort of shift in, in philosophy. That's right. So, I mean, I mean, it needs more. I mean, the problem is what we're doing here and what we're able to do is, is it's also because it's embedded in a research community peer groups you have many conferences your workshops you know the whole kind of everybody's learning rhino you have various people developing new tools and uh, their scientific papers our research team can read and, and and build on you need that it needs a cumulative collective effort to get somewhere and tectonism as the latest stage of prometheism in the last 10 years is something very sophisticated very mm. very compelling and and but it's still kind of marginal but there's a real progress over what we've done 15 years mm. ago what so we're able to do now and the, on on the more in more the more on some of my projects for instance semiological project and the focusing in on social functionality and i'm doing social li occupancy life process modeling in, in in interesting ways uh to to capture uh to make tractable on a new level of complexity and dynamism the social processes because mm. we, we we can't handle them by staring at a plan and making some labels mm. uh, so this is a bit of an isolated search so while in the tectonism front uh, in terms of integrating all sorts of engineering fabrication logics and having complex geometries and and environmental parameters flowing into very sophisticated artifacts which are also deliverable downstream because they're kind of pre-constrained uh, the 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 I've wrote Primalism 2.0 and I'm showing all this and, and saying we need to shift gear and home in on developing tools and intelligence and commitment and values on the social functionality aspect mm. and win that. And there are precursors there like Christopher Alexander, Bill Hillier, Space Syntax. Um, there's all, and, and that's at the moment is still in kind of an isolated, research and therefore just takes far too long mm. and is not it's very tough to bring that into real projects um it's 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 too much so so that's why that's why i'm trying to build a phd group i'm building I, i'm in I'm building a school to make that happen also needs more money um etc etc because these are non non-trivial um, methodologies neither is tectonism i mean tectonism you have to really invest quite a bit in in skills, although you yeah. helped by 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 um, a lot of online tutorials or um, and 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 community of people who can come together, but there is a higher level of sophistication required. You can't acquire that uh, by in school of architecture where you dabble around in all sorts mm -hmm. of directions, and then your final project you're trying to do something. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so what what are the sort of differences? between your original setting out of parametricism and tectonism. What's the sort of evolution been in terms of your own theoretical framework in, in that okay. sort of shift? So, so, so um, parametricism is obviously is a, a big kind of 
expansion of the repertoire, but also what I, one of the headlines is maintaining legibility in the face of complexity and how we discovered this. So, so deconstructism is um, the first take at building up much more complex urban textures buildings because mm -hmm. you have new potentials. First of all, you, you're no longer restricted to the orthogonal, so all sort of angles coming in and the great moves of, of layering, intersecting, superimposing different ordering structures which operate simultaneously, which means also there's a lot of porosity and openness in these. And But there, when you work like this, it's quite liberating and you very quickly uh, and you can try to affiliate to, to several contextual geometries which flow into your site. It becomes very, very quickly very um, illegible and chaotic. So you, you build up complexity, but it's becomes opaque mm. and then you get you even get lost in your own drawing you know, where was a drawing and and where's and, and you know it's kind of indigestible and, and so parametrism comes out of this with, with 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 discovering the kind of legibility potentials of curvature when you intersect and fuse and morph between blobs or a complex trajectory you can you can find um and 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 also, totally new um, concepts like uh, gradients, gradient transformations. Um, so to to build up, and this ties in with with a lot of societal forms. So you have intersecting domains of competency. You have instead of black and white, two or three categories. You have everything in between. You want more variety um, of 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 either in an urban field of block sizes or in mm -hmm. Or um, in, an, in, an, in, a, in a in a large, that's a Google campus of types of spaces, and you can order them along a kind of gradient. From what, and you build up this spectrum, and then you have a second spectrum interfacing this. Or that idea you can kind of form unities, not just a kind of fragmentation, a kind of scatter of things, but you can kind of form, make these kind of scattered pieces and shape swarms with them, and it's like swarm formation. And you have these tools where you have where you can have, um, you know, vector fields and swarm formations, and 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 so that is that is parametricism, um, new formal repertoires. They they initially don't recognize any um, buildability constraints, engineering constraints, and you end up therefore uh, with um, building these structures uh, where the Porsche of structure yeah. <laughs> uh, is kind of two meter, three meter. And, but also what I realized, so we, we, when we worked this through, the, that there's a congeniality between these new kind of curvilinear complex geometries with things like momentum lines, with things like mm. um, optimized shells. And then you get a sensibility. We, in parallelism, we worked initially with facets, then only with nerve surface. This is this one kind of geometry. Um, um, line-based geometry. I mean, and, but now we have, you know, now you have tensile, forms ruled surfaces uh, co compression only shell curved folding so you have a whole panoply first of all of characters which we can distinguish mm. so we have more richness of varying yet all the advantages of free form curvature um, and we can optimize for for structure so we take out all this uh, hot <laughs> yeah, yeah. and we get and that's my key point which nobody else gets or is buying into we get a much more subtle and varied repertoire for articulation because my point is 
when with parametricism original, you do something like Google Campus with, with 20 buildings or, um, and many, many, many spaces, even though it's so rich and so varied, it becomes monotonous mm. and disorienting. So we need more differentiation and unity uh, um, um, and, and, and cali uh, a visual distinction and tying things together without falling into chaos. So now there really there's a congeniality of the tectonism, uh, uh, technical engineering sophistication uh, and repertoires and the articulatory requirements of, of managing a very, very complex integrated uh, you know, information-rich environment. That's where the pitch is for tectonism and it is really so much more sophisticated and rich and varied. So if you look at this image, uh, parametrism is like, it's the world of fish and whales and tectonism is the full panoply of, let's say, the endless forms of nature. Mm. Yeah, well, it seems to be a very fundamental shift between the sort of the external almost facadism, although I hesitate to use that word, mm. of the panelization effectively. And the, yeah. the, the example of the, um, the aquatic center always yeah. comes to mind for this when you see it in section. And I think that was talking to other people about your work over the years, that's always been the main criticism, I think, is the, the sort of the, the form finding over and above anything else. And it seems to me a very fundamental shift to be moving to saying, actually, are oh, we going to concentrate on using the tools that we're already using, but for structural optimization and for efficiency and for using the emergent structures that come out of those as the sort of the architectural devices and as the ornamentation yeah. and as the, exactly. the sort of the forms that come out. Yeah. And, that's and ornamentation uh, is, is, is translates into characterization, into information. So that, and that's always been the case, by the way. It's not, you know, mm. it's also kind of misunderstood. It operates below subliminally for a lot of people, but they take in a lot of information about, you know, um, you know, how you dress and how you demean and how you decorate or, mm. or, or, or articulate your house. So it's, it's a network of similitude and contrast of fitting into a kind of matrix of distinctions. So, so then it's been understood. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's quite true. By the way, we, it, it, um, um, the, uh, previously our parametrism projects they were also informed of course by by the key uh, functionalities of of arranging spaces relative to uh, each other and contextual mm. conditions because when we work these forms we of course solve problems as we squeeze and push these blobs and and splines around yeah. um, uh, because we have to <laughs> And, and, and we have a larger search space and somebody else is minimalist, is, is just shifting boxes, mm. uh, uh, around. Uh, so he's trying to solve something with a very, very crude and insensitive search. And they, 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 they don't find the solutions we find. And their solutions are somehow in ours as a subset. Uh, but, but they're not going to be, uh, so, 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 but that's not easy. Um, um, argued because you, you've gone through so many steps of elimination yeah. and it's difficult to summarize and these are multi-objective searches uh, that, that uh, why your project is better. You, people feel it when you, when, you, when you walk them through their future building and they say, oh, okay, all of this is here and there and this could work and so on. So yeah, this, it's a kind of intuitive check um, and maybe they, they listen in a competition entry through several of these 
presentations and they feel, oh, yeah, here, this, in this solution, there's a lot of things wrong, or this work doesn't work, this is too narrow, this is too vast, this is, I can't find myself. And in hours, they get more of an invitation in. Maybe they also like the look and feel of it. Um, 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 and then also not to be dismissed, what characterizes maybe the way they want to have their institution ex experience. But, but it's not going to be, um, kind of superficial um uh, we're working from the inside out as well mm. and we can with pragmatism you you can't so easily do that with uh, with, all, with with many other styles for instance mm. if you have a very we don't have facadism near rationalism has because <laughs> we have we don't start well, with the facade i think again a lot of people have seen sort of made this distinction between parametricism with a capital p as a style effectively as sort of the, the practice yeah, of style yeah. and parametric modeling or parametricism as a modeling uh, a method effectively and uh, there's not necessarily a link or as close a link as perhaps you might think there is between those no, two of things. course you can use those tools to do a kind of minimalist project but y you don't have to i mean it's not essential and you're in a sense uh you you you're shooting with cannons on you know whatever on, mm. on, uh, on birds or something so 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 there's if you properly um um, um and it's the same with you know the the superiority of pragmatism as a as a model uh, shows up. Mineralism can cannot actually absorb um, a lot of the engineering optimization we can absorb mm. because they are excluded. Whereas in, we are a priori congenial. So if we, for instance, wrap a facade with uh, which often is curved, but then you put shading elements. They 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 are, they should migrate in a, in a, in in a gradual transformation respecting the different sun angle mm -hmm. conditions and if a, if a building across is overshadowing then there's a kind of blur uh, where this can open up and and that's the look and feel of parametricism but you know the underlying rationale is is, is not been to reach that look mm. yes some epigons might do that um, uh, they just go by the look and feel so you can fake it but one thing is so so you cannot guarantee but you can at least say this can possibly be of the most uh, optimized sophistication, whereas the minimalist version cannot. Mm. Here you can fake it, um, uh, but you know why would you? You don't have to. Uh, if you uh, only if you kind of if you, if you don't understand anything, you're a dabbler and quackery guy, and and some sometimes this is happening, and that is this, that is undermining the paradigm. Mm. But um, but it is the it it looks the way it looks because it is the um, life enhancing and and optimized and efficient uh, morphology and we should learn to like these kind of morphologies mm. uh, and learn to find um, uh, we should like la learn to hate older morphologies which by necessity are incredibly wasteful. Mm. Uh, where, 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 where everything is overdimensioned, basically, and where you have all sorts of uh, wasted spaces and uh, leftover spaces, and so, so, so that's it. I mean, you look at the, the endless forms of nature. I mean, that we, we find beauty in them, and we find coherence and 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 order them. That none of them was designed according to visual visual kind mm. of pleasure. Uh, uh, they they have they look the way they look because. Uh, that's a, that's a kind of epiphenomenon, mm. and that's the way you know. And the radical functionalism had that attitude, and 
And so, in the, but I'm saying one more thing. So that's on a, on a technical functionality as well as organizational uh, uh, principles, there's morphologies. Now, I'm laying on top of this something else, which is the functionality of appearances, because they, 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 but it can be overlaid and isn't a totally uh, contradictory uh, venture, which is that you, that these uh, spaces are arranged properly, they're adapting properly into the conditions, they sit and connect up with things they are collocationally synergetic with. And then, but to make that really happen, you actually should articulate and make transparent. You should empower users, end users, and visitors to see what belongs together, what is where, what connects up with what in the context, what leads to where, what's coming. So there's this kind of visual language, um, visual communication agenda, which is an absolute critical agenda for social functionality. Mm. There's no point in making all these arrangements and then nobody finds them. Uh, they remain obscure. Uh, uh, these distinctions are placed and ordered, but the appearance, the monotony of the appearance or the visual chaos of the appearance mm. hides that. So we cannot, in particular because we're no longer in that world where, where we usually rely on people knowing uh, where they're going because they're going to the same place every uh, for 20 years, like their own kind of pocket. But even then, I mean, even I have to concentrate sharply to find my entrance door every day <laughs> in this because they're identical. So, mm. so that's a waste of time. So, so visual, first of all, is these morphologies. The starting point is that the morphologies which are working and we should learn to like them on top of them. And then with those repertoires, I'm having an additional work effort, which is, I call it also the compositional stance. We always had mm. it where you, where you, where you, where you're trying to make transparent and you're trying to make uh, legible. Um, and you also encode um, 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 a semiological uh, text into those in a way. It's not only the perceptual graspability, that's one thing. So Gestalt psychology, it's one of my researches. So it, what allows you to kind of separate figure from, from background or how can you group this kind of group, group, how do you group elements into entities and sub-entities? You can't, you know, if I look at this table and that kind of 50 things, it's just chaos. I'm grouping things mm. by, by similarity, by contiguity, by continuity, by, by the way they describe a figure. That's the way I'm decomposing a complex scene. And this is becoming a problem now because we are facing complex urban scenes. And I can either be, go in there and be stunted like mm. kind of a. Do you think more so now than previously? Of though? course. And we should, at the moment, of course, we're tampering this, but yes, of course. Uh, because if you go to, um, uh, um, you don't have that problem in, in a very kind of, in an suburban mm. thing or in a, in, 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 in a city which has one square with one church and one palace and then a kind of neutral fabric or something. You know, a Renaissance composed plaza with, with, with three objects mm. which are neat and separate and distinct. Now, if you have mixed use, complex interlacing, institutions, uses, offerings, hundreds of different offerings piling into an urban density and I want much more density, then legibility becomes a problem. Also, if you have this kind of endless 
connections through. If you go into Hong Kong, it could be quite confusing. If you go into an airport or into a shopping mall, you have to then boil it down to the to to, to the, the simplest of mental map diagrams, mm. and that is a problem. So these these issues are serious challenges, in my view, and an intelligence the discipline should build. And there are sort of wayfinding experts and so on. Well, this, we, we don't look at that. And, and, but also then they, they use signage, but you can't kind of signage. Look yeah. at every sign, I mean, it's got to be more intuitive. It's much more intuitive. Yeah. The full, you know, the structure, the major spatial moves, the fenestration, they are, they have to do the double up doing that, let's say, what we call mm -hmm. orienting, navigation and orientation work. Well, in, ter so, in terms of the sort of intuitive use, so what, another thing that's always, I'm still sort of undecided on in terms of your work is the, the use of the curve, sort of curve of linearity, yeah, yeah. Um, but especially on the macro scale, when it, especially when it comes to plans, for example, because you don't perceive a plan when you're standing on the ground walking around it. And I wonder about whether or not there really is much utility in applying those sort of curvilinear geometries on a, such a macro scale. Uh, uh, well, on an urban scale, 100%. I'm, I'm very, very convinced about that. Uh, also, you give urban character identity figure. You know, this is my research into figuration, con uh, you know, uh, and not just, you know, let's say, space syntax, it's just an objective configuration. What is uh, textures more permeable, what's connected more, what's more centrally connected up. And these, he calls them the non-discovers. They're basically invisible characteristics. Mm. They should become visible. And how do you do that? And uh, so, so, but on the curvature side also in, in, in the space, if we have very complex spaces with multiple deep vistas, it's very, very helpful. Because if you start, and we start, tried it, uh, in, in, with, with flat planes and sharp corners and angles, you, you, you end up with a kind of illegible Kaleidoscope. It's difficult to hierarchize, difficult to to um, um, to articulate. And I have a lecture where you can find where I'm, where I'm demonstrating making parallel compositions. So I'm here having a repertoire where I have only straight lines, let's even an orthogonal. And here I'm building up a composition with 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 blobs and ellipses mm. and intersection. If you go for it, things like intersection, for instance, if you intersect the cube with the cube, the resultant is yet another cube which is blind and indifferent with respect to which two cubes are intersecting. Large cube, a small cube, a rectangle. The, the, the intersection space has no registration. But if you take two ellipses or even circle and ellipse, or the intersection shows you which two, how big is that space because it gives you the intersection uh, and, and whether it's an ellipse, ellipse or circle, how large it is, which directionality it is. So that's what I call information richness. Um, similarly, if you say block colors versus gradient colors, you can color code a plan, but if you make it in gradient, you can show you fade it off from the entrance or you fade it from the center to the periphery. Mm -hmm. So gradient coloration is superior to uh, block coloration as an information pro uh, delivery. Curvature, when it comes to building a complexity, is superior to rectilinearity. So you have to, and these are the tools, or the let's say these are the um, repertoires, and also the aesthetics of permeticism has two striking, each of these fe features, striking advantages over the kind of minimalist repertoire. Mm. This is the kind of demonstration I make 
and 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 that's I call it the superiority of the curve, and it's just compelling argument. And the same is when you when you wanted to fit into a site which isn't which isn't um, um, rectilinear. I mean, and and also mediating between levels. Yeah, right. Well, Don Demond Don project. You know, they study shapes, entrances on underground, overground, different levels, landscape. So, so how do you solve that? Well, you get a clear figure. You with clear hierarchy of trajectory. You you kind of nearly effortlessly move through around because you can move underneath. You can move over. It's sort of things which are and 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 the extensive use of of sloping surfaces, for instance, which is similar to that's folding one or one. You know, mm. uh, um, and uh, we could do much more of this. We uh, in, in, in outdoor spaces, in interior lobby spaces. Why can't they? Mm. I mean, there's regulatory nonsense coming up where you have to have now kind of handrails and shit like that's everywhere. But if you look at me, uh, look at some of a pioneer like uh, like um, Oscar Niemeyer. Yes, you know the, the lobby flows and goes mm. where it wants, and that's the kind of uh, the there's just a I call it the superiority of the curve, mm. and it's just an, a sub a sub. Uh, uh, it's one aspect of the superiority of primatism now. Even saying this is usually people kind of find us revolting, right? They find that pre a pretense and an, and, a ch and, a, and an insult to what they're doing. But that's what I said earlier. If we don't allow to say something like this, then we don't have a discourse. Yeah. Let's go all well, home and do our own home knitting. Yeah. Well, it's not even it's not even just the fact of putting forward a particular alternative like parametricism. Yeah. It's merely saying that maybe there's an alternative to what you're doing that's better. You know, we have to prove it. We I'm have saying. to allow to say this is better. This yeah. is not. Oh, this is different. No, this is not different. This is better. Mm. And you look at somebody and they're kind of. They revolt in horror, and you think I'm a kind of cultural outcast. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. The culture of discourse is dysfunctional, mm. and that's the meta argument of the first win. And I'm just doing it, and instead of saying uh, if, if if things are just different, we never get anywhere. We accepting mm. just we can't. You know, it's just accepting difference and saying something is better is the end of conversation. That's no conversation worthy mm. of having. Well, people, I think, use any criticism they can find of your work or anyone else's work that's put forward as a reason to not change anything. So if they, there's one aspect of, course, of yeah. your work or anything else that someone doesn't like, they'll say, oh, well, therefore, the whole thing's invalid and I'll just stick to what I'm doing now, which is just a completely ridiculous argument, isn't it? No, no, it's, it's, look, it's, they, they can't defend it. And, it's, and it goes even so far. There's this guy in, at the AA, um, Pierre Vittorio, really. Who is, he's, he, I like him to some extent because he is in a project which integrates uh, strong, let's say, formal compositional stance. Mm. You should have one. It's not just it's all equal. You know, what kind of morphologies are we working with? Mm. We are pre-setting our whole career, <laughs> maybe with the wrong set of formal repertoires. Mm. You know, you have this, at least you have, but you have one, you know, it's kind of, and everybody has, it's at least a self-reflective one. Any, anyways, offers this, and he has architectural theory. Which is um, also tied on, tied up with the, with the political stance. Problem mm. with this is so that this so respect them for that. Um, and there's a certain energy and let's say um, passion in in these works he's doing with the students at the end. So problem is that it's a wrong formal repertoire. Um, it's a backward one. 
mm-hmm. and it's it's around politics. It's a very backward politics. So, so in, in and and um, he has to he has to end up saying in a way I was, I've challenged him, uh, and he sort of can cannot answer. I have to admit he th- because he's he's uh, resting with the neo rationalism of uh, early Rossi. Look, there's a certain fascination with. With making a a bar like mm. like Galatese, making a kilometer long and having and having having a kind of neutral square grid running on it, it's a kind of yeah. uh, uh, you know super studio meant that as irony. And I don't know about Pierre Vittori, some of his schemes. He calls his films a dogma. Great, <laughs> and I don't know how serious it is, but I think it is serious. And so he makes this kind of this mega square imprinting, and it's like inspired by. It's just an intuitive. Inspiration. He loves this kind of Rossi, the early OMA um, um, impositions. It's a kind of super studio taken literal, which was meant to be a dystopian kind of. But um, so he is has to say and does say. I said, why? Okay, why are you hooked there? This is mid the seventy five. Don't you think there's nothing exciting? Nothing happened. No innovation mm. through the eighties and nineties. You don't in, in two thousand. You recognize nothing of this. He can. He has to admit that somehow architectural progress stopped in 1975. And I mean, just, just, then you have to say, why didn't we shut down? Yeah. <laughs> you know, or was well, it all, was it all some kind of aberration? Yeah. Um, well, why do you think that did happen? Is it, is it the perniciousness of sort of the Foucault's and Derrida's and French left bank side of influencing academia in the architectural sense as well of, of, of putting forward this sort of subjective idea as opposed to any potential of an objective truth or a, a well, no, I mean, I don't think, I think I submit that the, that's a post-structuralist, um, post-modernist, modernist loops of reflection. And I don't see that as a negative. I mean, I see it as a tra- tra- transitional stance of, of breaking up and, and deconstructing of a Derrida is very healthy. I, I've learned a lot. There's a lot mm. of insights there. And, uh, and that the grand narratives which we had, which was kind of rolling out uh, a certain, um, let's say, modernization model, irrespective of local conditions, and that the idea that you, that you would have um, you know, in 1950s, looked at you can just roll this out mm. across former colonies and so on, and you have you have a kind of linear um, roll-up progress. I mean, they, some of these um, um, there were hard lessons to be learned, and 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 these these things didn't happen. That's why you, why these you know, um, and the, also the, the this the the revolutions, the socialist dream and Marxist dream of the revolutions of the of the 60s didn't happen. And that was a lot of, you know, to a certain extent, it's a kind of um, um, post-revolutionary uh, depression. <laughs> but it's also reflect, ref, these are all kind of ex-Maoists mm. who had, who de-simplistic modernization theories had to be, cr- come crashing down. So I, and, and I've learned a lot. I mean, there's a lot of in there and the grand narratives were were temporarily suspended. I mean, that's what I said earlier, also in architecture. Uh, but doesn't mean that grand narrative is forever impossible. That's nonsense. Uh, mm. So, so we have to see them as a in a dialectic as as an influence. Yeah, I mean, it becomes pernicious if you, if that's if you get arrested there 
and you and you get delu deluge, uh, totally um, um, disillusioned about building a more complex, sophisticated mm. grand narrative, unified well, it's, theory. Yeah. It's, again, the, the grand narrative thing is something I've struggled with because it's, it's sort of a paradox, really. I guess there's, I, I try and make the distinction, I suppose, between sort of mono-perspectival grand narratives uh, and maybe multi-perspectival grand narratives that attempt to look at things from some yeah, multiple sure. angles, effectively. And, and this is why I sort of I bring in the, the idea of an objective truth or a more scientific way of working in architecture about trying to discover what is actually better on an objective level and, and measuring that in various ways rather than sort of going in with a single single-minded ideology um or from a single of perspective course. and saying oh i'm going to do everything in terms of this like maybe the modernists did um look absolutely agree with that and and um uh, i think the discipline should should be um after these challenges we need to incorporate certain loops of reflection um um uh, the kind of societal dynamics are very complex and self-feeding and uh, and um but we and, and 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 underlying economics is very complex and so so we but but there's also science can be very very fruitful and that's for instance the science of space syntax is very interesting so i'm so that the autopus of architecture volume 2 is fully incorporates the totality of Bill Hillier's work, let's say, mm. and and the critique of its limitations and how to go forward. So, so we need unified theories, which brings in also the work of Christopher Alexander is integrated, and his later work is critiqued. So, so there is we need to build a new curriculum. We need to build a new um, um, science-based uh, discourse uh, and practice of architecture, and I call it theory-led discourse and practice of architecture. And you know, we need to integrate a lot of insights. And there are some things which, uh, which I mentioned, which have also been worked through a lot. Mm. And the, the, there you can have, um, yeah, there is something like uh, um, objective truth. Uh, one has to be cautious about these, these phrases, but I'm saying um, you have comparative, um, um, so, yeah, of course, the underlying objective conditions and truth uh, in terms of solutions, there's always a solution space. They could always be unseen and unconsidered um, uh, uh, options. And that's there we, we, it's always temporary in this sense. But I can say, hey, I make an argument which is compelling about uh, a series of decisions I'm offering and, and, and solution search spaces or a particular solution, which we have not sharp to say, there's a superiority. Mm. There's a superior paradigm on many levels because it's many factors, pros and cons. There's an, an overall appraisal of this, which I still find compelling. So um, I'm a bit cautious, you know, calling the, in the arena of forward-looking propositional offerings, objective truths, but in terms of the underlying conditions, mm. there is something like objective truths, of course. And also, but then you have to praise the importance of that reality versus another. And in economics, it's all, I'm very familiar with the social sciences and economics way, the way you have to uh, relativize to, to, to assumptions and then also the importance of multiple objectives when they, when they come in. But the, but I think the, the, uh, the overall appraisal is overwhelming in favor of, 
a well-done, sophisticated pragmatism project. Mm. Now, if you t pick out individual projects of us, uh, ours or anybody's, of course, there's also a lot of scope for critique and self-critique. But I have the, I have the, the criteria. I have the, I have the heuristics and values and success criteria mapped out, which allow me to criticize each of our projects. So there's a clear, um, if I had more time, uh, to work through and consider, there's a clear heuristics, which allows me every additional months I'm spending, I'm ramping up the, mm -hmm. uh, the performance uh um of of my project so and that's not something which any other paradigm can easily offer yeah well even just having that ability to self-reflect and to critically analyze what it is that you would do differently about a project yeah. and then to apply that the next time exactly. i think it's something that most practices don't really do and that's probably a large part of why they keep regurgitating the same kind of architecture effectively um but in terms of, i mean we're talking about sort of creating a healthy discourse in yeah. in architecture and sort of re reigniting the debates around theory how is it that you sort of break that uh seal if you like and do that create that environment in architecture given the sort of static nature now like what's the challenges i mean i'm sitting in in, in conferences uh, even on something like london real estate forum and this front row and pick out speakers positions and it's shocking how quickly things crumble in front of you i mean particularly also politicians or deputy mayors i mean seven thought it through they never they rarely confront something like this mm. and you can swing a whole panel around on on abolishing standards in in, in housing i mean which which they hadn't thought of when they when they first stepped onto the panel so there's you it, it is it is not so difficult sometimes and you have to be discouraged know what you're doing and and um, people don't realize, I mean, I'm an unusually uh, erudite and I thought things through for systematically for many years. So there's very something unusual they never confront. So it is, yeah. um, it's, it's a rarity. And also that I can make, give lectures and talk is because I've thought it through, read up and written, written and taught these, these books and texts and so on. So I can, and now, so, so, but I'm never doing it at hominem and I mean, you have to do it kind of in a, in a charming way. I'm also challenging in, in, in a conference my own best friends and colleagues and, and put something at them and to show them that they have to mm. shake up and not letting them get away with everything or just because your friend, uh, I'm not going to challenge you. And, and, and sometimes it's tough because maybe they can't immediately answer or can't. But it, it, it does something and then you maybe, yeah. depending well, on the age, I mean, there's an age problem sometimes if you're well established and you, uh, um, um, you get defensive and you feel that your, 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 your authority is undermined. So I, I, I tend to see that, that, um, uh, with, with more established figures. Uh, of course, it becomes a kind of more of a threat <laughs> and well, it's a, it's a or an undermining, although it never meant to be, uh, yeah. uh, it meant to be empowering. Well, see, exactly. It's a different mindset, isn't it? Like yeah. when you've got, say, a principal like yourself, who, say, you get some little junior person who yeah. makes a really good criticism, how you yeah. react to that is whether you see it as either a threat and <laughs> immediately shut that person down or yeah. an opportunity to learn and improve and be better. Exactly. It's a completely different way of but operating. Also if, if, if different, you know, if, if different um, established figures, uh, you know, criticize each other, yes, that's something you have to be able to cope with. And I'm happy with all criticism. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to, you know, self improve and, 
and um, I'm 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 identifying with the work we're doing here, but it's not in the hundred percent. It's in way yourself self-critical. I'm more I like the, the the flourishing of the business as a vehicle, but I'm not wedded to this. I'm thinking the whole discipline. I'm thinking differently. I'm, I want to change the, the the cities of the world and and the way the discipline can make contribution to that. So that's more my I think I see myself more of a leader of a discipline rather than this mm. firm. Firm is a good vehicle it gives credibility as well and um and and a lot of the people have gathered around here and 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 they're doing great work but it's also a, um and and it's good to have many projects there's always one or two or three one can try this or that with mm. and make the little step of innovation it has its own constraints so so i love that but but my overall um um, um let's say what energizes me is is, is bigger than that's what's happening here mm. so i'm quite happy to 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 always to see others flourish as well and 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 i find it interesting we look a lot what others are doing as well it's, it's competitive in a nice way but also want to empower other 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 figures and i'm happy to receive criticism mm. for this for the idea of self-improvement for the for the development of the discipline yeah well, I've, I've sort of admired the kind of fire that you've brought to the architectural <laughs> debates over the years and to some degree of controversy, I suppose, but maybe that's more re reflective of the sort of the environment of architecture. Um, in terms of, sort of the political side, yeah, I was interested in your article for, was it Center for Policy Studies, I think, the, about housing? Yeah, this um, is for the Adam Smith Institute. Adam Smith Institute, that was the one. Um, and you've described yourself as an anarcho-capitalist, which I found particularly interesting. Um, <laughs> they mentioned some of Marx's early works and sort of subtleties in his arguments. Um, and it, I think it's very easy to sort of broad brush Marx as sort of insane and beyond the pale, but actually there's some no, no, there's some no, no, tweaks very, in there. Very important. Okay. Well, look, Marxism is it's been an incredibly important uh, intellectual um current and i like schools and movements that's where you make real progress but also the, the works of marx and engels i mean there's also there was a collaboration there and he, he had absorbed a lot uh, to reach the works of hegel but also the works of the english economists mm. and french economists and he was a very very deep thinker and, and it's incredibly resourceful and also like inspired by his ambition i mean his ambition was really to sh the, the human project Mm. And how to shape it and, and 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 allow it to flourish and accelerate. So, yeah. so Marx and I'm including Lenin as somebody I adore and 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 with you know this is not just this is not I mean of course it's tragic mistakes and and historical tragedies of, of what he engaged with and he made some mistakes, uh, but he also reached somewhere you know, mm. to, for this kind of group of intellectuals to take over the. Tsarist Empire and St. Petersburg and the, what they unleashed in the, throughout the 20s in terms of, let's say, the whole um, uh, Russian constructivism mm. and I mean, and art and science. It, it, was, it was amazing. So, so and 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 I have this collective works on my shelf. So, uh, so, so the, here's somebody who is not a time waster, but he's going to philosophy. He's going mm. into, into 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 philosophy of science and. And Trotsky as well, because they're struggling. Also, they, re they have reflections about the, the use of language and the meaning of language, because they're using language and trying to understand the world, but also trying to communicate. Mm -hmm. uh, and their, 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 their project was so much more ambitious and complex than anybody else's project mm. at that time. 
um, that that they were they were they're making big intellectual advances. Mm. You know, there's a kind of pre um, anticipation of pragmatism and also a pragmatist conception of, for instance, language. Um, that th these are kind of full f 20th century was kind of then fully redeemed kind of anticipations let's say and something like historical materialism as a as a as a way of writing history and also with a, with a forward conscious for, forward planning of and shaping of history oh. it, the, these things stand what doesn't stand is a particular anticipations a particular uh, recipes and and, mm. and visions of where ex extrapolations from tendencies they they observed that didn't work out. I mean, I have my other heroes since you know <laughs> for that, but yeah, I'm actually working. Like, but they they don't dovetail. I mean, there's there are many ex-Marxists who are now libertarians and anarcho-capitalists. Yeah. By the no, way, exactly because there is not because it's, it's still the same project. It's a it's about the transformation of societal system and seeing societal political systems as barriers and fetters if they have become obsolete and antagonistic to unleashing the human potential which comes through technology, through education, through globalization. What, 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 so there's a, it's the same project, mm. uh, but different recipes and insights and lessons learned. Yeah, I don't think many people are able to make those kinds of distinctions between the sort of subtle arguments and sub-arguments that certain thinkers who might be sort of tarnished with a broad brush make. Yeah. And to, and to sort of square those with other thinkers, because I know you've mentioned um, Hayek and Mises as well yeah, in, sure. your, in some of your later work. And sort of how does the sort of the more anarcho-capitalist or libertarian side, that's, I suppose that's what's got you in most trouble in the media. <laughs> um, but how does that sort of influence your architecture now? And is that an accurate sort of description of your sort of general political stance, I suppose? Uh, yeah, it is. That's my political stance. And... and that is immediately relevant when you have political situations where uh, to always try to uh, prevent more empowerment and scope for for uh, political institutions and, and, and more power uh, always be against that and always opt for and call for more uh, dispersed scope of action through individuals, firms, free charities, free associations, non-governmental or governmental, mm. uh, non-governmental, uh, non-profit organizations are of course included there. So that's, it, it, you, in, and that immediately feeds into how one appraises, um, planning regimes and how one analyzes, um, the, uh, let's say, Problems like the so-called uh, housing crisis, which is a, is a crisis, a supply crisis, and, a, and an overregulation crisis, in my view, and how one also appraises and, and evaluates particular um, um, supposedly alleviating efforts on top of all the regulatory kind of freeze up, which mm. is an, an affordability system which makes things worse. Uh, so, so that the, the, these are these are insights which come out of that discourse. Uh, uh, but it is also based very, very broadly in, 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 science, in, in economic science because mm. a lot of these analyses are shared by virtually 
a huge majority of economists. Yeah. Um, and on the other hand, I also accept the collective action issues and, and negative externalities uh, being abundant in 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 the in the built environment arena. Um, so so yes, that brings me into trouble because these 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 um, there's also false culture of discourse in general in society, not only in architecture, mm. which I find problematic. This kind of over-exaggerated political correctness where, where, where certain dominant themes, if you deviate from them, you cast out. It becomes, it becomes toxic. It go, get, goes ad hominem very, very quickly. I've been excluded from a conference recently in, in Denmark, surprisingly. It's my first really? experience. I was really quite depressed by it, or shocked by it. And, and um, where supposedly some 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 speakers uh, uh, signaled that they wouldn't want to join as long as I'm still uh, uh, kind of speaking. So and and the, right. the organizers the organizers made the decision to disinvite me. They were quite. Oh, I suppose, I suppose you can wear the being deplatformed as a badge of honor in terms of <laughs> intellectual diversity. I guess. I mean, it's but it's it's a horrible horrible. Um, um, uh, culture because it leads to a lot of self-censorship as well and it shows also i mean opinions which have to to to, to defend themselves like this they are, they are you know sus suspect and they are in fact mm. and i was part of the left and uh, I, I mean we weren't like this i mean the the left is becoming uh it's kind of um appeal is eroding i think I mean, for the first time you have a lot of libertarian students actually and 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 there's a f first, first time a counter movement in student bodies and young people, which mm. isn't socialist uh, or left liberal. And maybe there's a defensiveness there. Um, I don't know. There's many theories why this is, but it's 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 highly problematic. And and the ad hominem thing is what's really how really the, the the killer in all this. I mm. mean, to be to be smeared to be. To be name called um, um, is totally uncalled for. Yeah, and it undermines the ability to sort of have a proper argument about ideas and thoughts, doesn't it? That's it, it. and you know, and and uh, it becomes kind of damaging. I mean, uh, to to people. So so I mean, I've survived it, and I'm not going to be easily subdued. But but it was it was it was a problem. It's a shame. Um, but I'm not uh, stopping, so I'm, mm. uh, I'm giving you my opinions <laughs> once more. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's you're, you sort of stand out as almost one of the lone voices that are, are willing to sort of stick your head above the parapet initially, uh, effectively. And there's quite a few. Once you talk to people under, uh, you know, under the outside, you know, in, in, on the sides and so on, you get a lot of agreement. A lot of, uh, you know, it's, the strange thing is certain of these positions might actually have less than majority support, but this kind of uh, veil of disrespectability of these counter-arguments, even if there would be more than 50%, mm. that could hold on for a while until it cracks and crumbles. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but I get, you know, I was just recently at the Negroni Talks just a few days ago talking about social housing and affordability crisis. And, you know, it was it was was actually much better. There wasn't many journalists. There was no camera running. And I got quite a bit of agreement. I get, you know, it's not the one, I mean, I, people reflect or at least, uh, and also afterwards, after the talk, people come. Mm. And, 
express agreement. So that, that helps. Mm. Have you seen changes in the attitude of the students you've worked with um, at the AA in terms of how they approach sort of the political or, or philosophical side of their work? Not really. It's, um, um, I mean, our crop of students is maybe slightly unusual. Although, I mean, we have very, very international and mm. we have no much British contingent. It's okay. a bit of the, uh, it's, a, it's an accident of history with the AA and the grants regime where they excluded, which makes the AA nearly um, um, zero British really? or okay. indigenous, let's say. Yeah, English. yeah. Um, 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 yeah. And so, and there's the great alternatives right around the corner at the Bartlett. <laughs> so, so, so that makes it a little bit different. Um, and that's a bit of a shame uh, that this is kind of there's an exclusion there. Now I didn't see much uh, um, in in the master degree course. Also, you get people who have already worked. It's a little different. Uh, there is a bit, bit, bit of politicization at the AA, the, the graduate school, mm. uh, in uh, largely in the left liberal kind of uh, tendency. And I I support it. Uh, it's a shame if that takes over, let's say if it becomes the A becomes a debating club and people don't design or learn skills. That's, it should, it should, you should be able to do both, yeah. ideally. Yeah. Well, one of the things I've noticed over the last few years, especially with master's projects, is the, the main focus of most of the projects is a socio-political agenda rather yeah. than an architectural solution yeah. to a particular problem. And often you have to sort of pick apart within the sort of fancy drawings that look yeah. great <laughs> and the sort of quotes of saying we're going to rebuild the whole world and create this yeah. utopia or whatever. You have to sort of really pick apart all of that to actually find the architecture. Um, it's a problem. I mean, yeah, there, there's, there's been a tendency in the last few years. Um, you get kind of Photoshop uh, collages with slogans, etc. Or uh, also an investment in, in some kind of graphics, which are, mm. uh, I don't know if they lead too much. Um, I think there's, because there's, a, there's not a recognition that there's actually very sophisticated project people could participate in we need more people to come on and help us make yeah. a collective community project we have a real chance to real impact rather than making these kind of fantastical journeys into idiosyncratic journeys there's a lot of there's a lot i mean Bartlett had that a lot these kind of peter cook like those narratives uh fan fantastical narratives and you spend a lot of time on them and they're just a waste of time mm. lock stock and barrel i mean my view as if real mundane project briefs and tasks if you think they're boring i mean that's the implication for me yeah, if you have exactly. to go to mars or go to then 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 you haven't really understood the the thrill and and interest inherent interest in our discipline yeah. you can so it's been not right i mean and peter cook is also one of those characters who you know, I, I was a great Archigram fan. Like Archigram was, was, was interesting. It was in this industrialization transition where uh, um, it was, uh, um, um, but but um, there's a kind of strange um, false conception of the discipline as um, uh, you know playing with with I funny ideas, curiosities. Mm. With, um, um, originality for the sake of originality, um, yeah. drawings for the sake of drawings. I mean, it was a kind of an art school 
thing of yes with ideas with narratives with fun. I mean it's it's very non-strategic it's very kind of if you compare this to the Bauhaus I mean it's like it seems kind of they don't know where they they don't want to go anywhere yeah um, um, well it's, it seems to me very sort of almost easy and almost a cop out to create projects within with this sort of open brief idea whereas if you gave sort of a set of master's students a really really mundane brief like a five bedroom house on a boring infill plot uh, to succeed and to excel within such a frame of mediocrity takes so much more skill and yeah, expertise okay. than it does if you're building a spaceport or something. We've done such projects. We've done quite a few kind of medium-sized London Infills projects. I'm now working on a slightly larger kind of urban, uh, a series of urban interventions into Stoke Newington. Uh, these are kind of incubator spaces um, and making that a mixed-use um, network society um, and cluster of, of, of office spaces or uh, co-work incubator Google campus style mm. uh, and or, or Shadja and his kind of group at the A they're doing a high uh, high, uh, uh, high density residential uh, co-living they're thinking about new forms of marketing and building communities online to bring them together exchange of rooms shared rooms I mean, there's a lot of sophistication, building t- new tools, new new uh, new conceptions with time, with new ways of life in the city, and then also new technology, um, customized uh, modularity, and so on. And in my case, also, so I'm not only developing these architectures, embed them into urbanism, but also running Unity simulations of the interaction scenarios, and I build models of the all the different actors, the different mm. firms, and and actors and sub actors. Uh, protocols of interaction and so on and how they fill those spaces and how the spaces are themselves also adaptive and reconfigurable and so on. Um, they, they, they are very um, pragmatic but on the edge of innovation but very tangible projects where you have to bring a lot of good, interesting ideas, a lot of skills, a lot of compelling later on scenario development and visualization but they're very down to earth on yeah. another level. So you could, you, you, I could go to this and sh- sh- we, these could be shown to a clients, um, to to local um, uh, district mayors, or whatever, or mm. to, uh, and they would they would make sense. I mean, the same we've done in New York last year, Google Campus and so on. And they would their feet, you know, this that would be on the innovative edge. What we're doing here, we've done a study for the collective to co living. Mm. Um, um, a block in, in in Tottenham. There's a lot of innovation there, and they look and feel much more like a co-living yeah. space. So, so that's the way we're approaching it, um, and uh, that I think is more healthy. And you can have all the philosophical and sociological and political arguments about that, about mm. the concept of ownership, about you, you know, um, 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 about. Uh, the societal purposes and political frameworks on the project. So and I, yeah, I agree. So we, you know, and that kind of is not is not happening enough. And uh, there, there's a kind of lost opportunity. I mean, also a lot of these characters. I mean, it's disempowering for them if they come out after five years having done five of those. <laughs> and um, it's going to be very hard for them to. I couldn't hire any of them because mm. I, I I I don't know what they can do. Uh, they haven't designed anything which I can appraise. Yeah. Uh, noise, uh, noise is kind of um, the intelligence um, 
yeah, it's very adolescent. I mean, um, and 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 art school like mm. and art school. I mean, art. You know, I have a theory of art. I mean, that that's that makes sense in defending the existence of the art world. Um, but it's a very very different thing. That's a freewheeling browsing of of opportunities and problems and issues and things unfinished, unfit, leading to something as a reservoir of creative industry, audiences to come in, maybe to utilize, to do something you can throw in front of audience, provocations. It's a provocation. It's a kind of, I call it a brainstorming chamber, a, a platform of freewheeling experimentation, which needs some funding to get somewhere because for us to make an innovation, mm. we need kind of incubator arenas. And sometimes even for early conceptualization, I mean, we are, we are, let's say there's, maybe there's earlier stages from what we are, what we do at the design research lab. They would exist in some kind of an art school. Um, but I think it's, uh, you, if that now all architecture schools are doing that, that's false. That's a problem. Mm. Um, I mean, do you think there's, what, what are the major changes that you think architectural education needs to under, undertake in order to, first to get a sort of decent discourse going um, and then sort of be able to apply that practically and theoretically. I think we're in a stage of, and we have to get out of this art school phase. We need to move move to the kind of second Bauhaus phase <laughs> and which then what happened continued at IIT and GSD with, with Gropius and, and Mies, et cetera, when they, when they delivered modernism, I mean, seriously. Mm. And we need to deliver parameticism and... Um, uh, that's what I believe. I mean, I mm. mean, if somebody else has another idea, what are you delivering? These schools deliver nothing. Yeah. And, um, and we should. I mean, we deliver something, but we're only a small group within the AA. And there's been a few other units. I mean, this was much more coherent in the 90s and early 2000s. Like a whole cluster of units in the, in the graduate school together with DRL and MTech and, uh, landscape urbanism. This was, was one community of research including Columbia University, something's going on at the, at the GSD. So there was much more. And now some of these things have been kind of fragmented and dispersed and backtracked. Mm. And uh, mostly, you know, this kind of post-financial crisis. Because you had also, what was nice about this boom, maybe it was artificial, it was artificial, but that there was, a, you know, there was, there was so much work. Yeah. You know, we had 20 projects in Spain alone, for instance, and, but there's also many other could. That focuses minds on working on something mm. which has tangibility. There's an excitement even for young architects. And it, also the takeover of China allowed for a lot of these careers to be, to be kind of kicked off. And, and, and uh, the problem is with, with the financial crisis, there's been this kind of, that a lot of that energy has stopped and faded. And then there was a lot of reflection about capitalism, a lot of anti-capitalism, Occupy movement, uh, politic politicization of the student group. And they were grappling with that. I mean, I was never, um, I, I, that's when I became a libertarian and I quickly realized, and I was really prepared for that. I wasn't afraid. Doesn't mean that we have we have a radical reset of a of a direction of a civilization and parametrism is now obsolete. Not not at all. Um, so to appraise that event properly, um, um, uh, I was able to do that, and a lot of people do, didn't, and they get kind of 
distracted into mm. into this politics. Uh, look, I'm, I'm, you know, in, in, let's say into false politics, into a, into a lot of anti-capitalist mm. uh, dreams, which we've gone through. I mean, I was, <laughs> you know, I was actually I became a Marxist in that era of market socialism, the transformation of Eastern Europe, yeah. where, 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 where there was, and you could see it happening the way, the way, the way the discourse itself and its protagonists keep introducing more and more features of capitalism and became kind of pro-capitalist by yeah, without the logic it, of yeah. the, and then particular when the tasks were also set and what they then were really were doing. And so, so I've gone through all this. I kind of praise, um, um, that, that, uh, um, the prospects for, um, socialist. Uh, revolution and radical mm. democracy and all that. Well, it's, it's interesting, especially it's not realistic. How, yeah, how many technologies and things there are, and, and startups and things like talk about like Uber and yeah. all of the innovative technologies that are coming yeah. up, which are effectively sort of very sort of almost libertarian, pro-market yeah. innovation, the, low regulation they technologies. It should tell you something, and 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 the great the libertarian movement is overlapping largely and a lot with this tech sector mm. and these are you know these are the smartest the best the brightest the energetic the, the and the missionaries of of all of our age and that's very healthy and that's another kind of hint of somebody who is, thinks that libertarianism is, is is totally on the wrong track if all these kids Mm. This, well, this industry is, la is highly sympathetic. Yeah, well, I think there's a fear among a lot of people, isn't there, that if you sort of take off the reins and let everything run free, yeah. that bad things will happen. And it's, it's sort of a risk of, oh, a, yeah. a small c conservatism is, oh, we have to keep things constrained and tight rather and than. And I say, let's risk it. We have to risk it. I mean, I'm, for me, it's an existential thing because we have 10 years of stagnation already, meaning we have zero productivity growth or per capita income growth in Europe. I mean, that's a scandal. In an era of takeoff, everybody talks about AI. I mean, we have made leaps and bounds of productivity, but it's kind of been defrayed and, and we can't do all we can and, and, and kind of uh, dissipated elsewhere. So there's a net, you know, okay, it's 0.1% or something, which accumulates to 0.5% in 10 years, which is nothing. And that's the mm. UK. Uh, overall Europe. Um, so that's a scandal and, and it's crazy. And we have all these potentials and we're not letting them happen. We're not letting rip. So in 20 years, we look back, we don't have these promises fulfilled. Yeah. They're not happening. And another 10 years, I don't want to have three more decades of more or less stagnation of where we could double um, um, per capita income. You can work half or work you know, 60% and have everything double uh, or have everything, uh, everything you wanted double and triple. Uh, and, and, and that, that prosperity means cumulative. So if you hamper, if you, if you don't grow and where you could have grown, you don't see it in one or two, three years, but in 15, 20 years where we're all around, yeah. we, and then we imagine maybe we could have doubled, uh, uh, GDP, um, for us and the freedoms. And, and luxuries we, we could give and then also there's more to get a, to give away in, in, in charities mm. I mean a lot of these entrepreneurs there um, the profit and loss system is actually reigning them so that they're actually doing useful things rather than you know, being off on their hobby horse missions and okay the, Bill Gates and these characters have earned so much they've given so much in that hard test of profit and loss they have earned the right to defray the rest mm. maybe some <laughs> of this Spreading around do, does some good, but I think the reinvesting in proper for profit 
would be much more effective yeah. prosperity for all uh, investment. Well, in the big the big area that you've mentioned before in terms of these sort of uh, economic theories is yeah. around planning, effectively. Yeah. And, and you've spoken about planning as a very as sort of the last remaining highly regulated market. Yeah. Um, and I'm still I'm still undecided as to what is the appropriate balance between sort of letting rip and letting innovation run and protecting existing people's interests. And I think most people have that sort of nervousness and that fear that if you open up the market, all kinds of chaos will happen. That's the problem. But we, I don't think the, the, the history bears us out. And, um, and the only way you have to do it all at once, you can kind of gradually roll back, gradually, you know, in which direction are we, are we turning the dial? Mm. That's the first insight. And if we're ramping up more and more, you want more and more of what, what worries you to be kind of handed over to I mean, who are these characters who are making these decisions? I know them. I'm not sure if you met them. I've been to parliamentary subcommittee meetings and they're not serious. They're chit-chatting about all sorts of things. They're not prepared. They're not professional because they don't have to be. It's very mm-hmm. different from the way we operate here. Um, and, um, I mean, if you look at all these MPs, I mean, I have some respect for some of the ministers. I mean, it's, it's quite interesting. It might sound elitist, but that's what people I can... Uh, I can talk to and I have a certain degree of respect for. They were also the only ones, some of them, like David Cameron, who, who wasn't in the end also in a, in a kind of petty uh, fraudster with respect to expenses because they have actually emissions and ambitions. Yeah, yeah. And, and, but look, I call them the clowns over there. I mean, they, they can't. I mean, they, 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 they have they have fantasies about what they want to regulate mm. and what they want to interfere with. Uh, they're, they're, they're not knowledgeable enough that they have no the real incentives isn't calling them back in it's demagogy which or or kind of rhetorics which would drive them i mean it's something to think about is 50 percent of gdp they kind of go through their hands partly redistributed or rationed out and 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 a lot of eaten up in in the process and and I don't know how much we can do with the other 50%. Mm. They could all afford, I mean, and, and what they're doing, the regulatory, uh, uh, so that to eat up all the 50%, but the other 50% where they, which, which is still for us to keep, they are infringing on how we use it as consumers. Mm. They're for, infringing for on how we mm. use it as producers. So they're, 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 so the totality of production, half of which they eat away, they're kind of constraining. There could be much more. So we could be the first argument to make if we get them out of the way, we, we would inflate that mm. overall and we could keep a much larger part. And the government, I mean, that's the characters. I know them. Mm. And they are mediocre even on ministerial level, some of them are great. I love people like Liam Fox, and there's some good people in there. But, but, but and, and I had respect for Cameron, not as a theoretician. He's in a Lenin. He hasn't 45 volumes of, of, of theorizing and debating and snob. No. They, they have their own little debating. So it's mediocre characters, a bunch of clowns with pretenses. Which we keep handing over more and more of decision-making powers, which yeah. they are patently cannot cope with, yeah. and they're and they're and they're and they're and they're really stunting. Mm. And I think I've known. I mean, if you go to other countries, um, the sophisticated people and organizations are corporate, corporate entities. Mm. 
There's, give me any larger corporation. They, 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 they outperform any ministry, any, in terms of the, 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 the level of internal continuous improvement. I mean, they have, they have the internal change management groups, consultancies working at them. They have pressures continuously to group and regroup. It's not ideal. There's also problems there. But, but I think, and you see, if you go into other countries, it's the only entities which can actually get things organized. So, mm. so, 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 so in, in, in Morocco, it's a kind of phosphate company because they have also, you know, bright, in, you know, business leaders mm. working there or Ramco and Saudi, et cetera. Mm. These are the organizations who actually, um, and, and, and they are vilified. These, these are the heights of our, um, let's say, um, culture. And um, these are the heights of, um, this is also um, um, sophisticated uh, leadership knowledge, which you learn in, in business schools. I've gone to business school. So, so <laughs> um, um, and that's all kind of um, vilified by adolescent uh, kids running around uh, wanting to shut down <laughs> Facebook <laughs> while using it. Yeah, yeah. Or, uh, uh, well, it's, it's a, kind a of a lot of I hypocrisy mean, around, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Well, let, let me play devil's advocate yeah, okay. on the um, on the sort of deregulation of planning kind of thing yeah. because I think it's it needs to be done. You need to sort of put the strongest arguments yeah. against it as well no, as an idea. But if you what would you say to the idea that there's a fear that, or the possibility that if you do deregulate too much, that the sort of the existing successful entities, whether it's something like London, let's say, will run away with all of the success and you'll get a, a greater um, inequality of distribution of wealth to such an extent that you start causing dis um, yeah, instability and that kind of thing? That might be great. Those, those, those places who do these reforms first will run away mm. and then everybody else will catch up. I mean... That was a great moment of Thatcher. I mean, Thatcher was, was, was doing things and everybody else was put on alert and had to do other things, including China. Actually, Deng Xiaoping was inspired by Thatcher. Mm. Um, so, so that's what we need. We need somewhere to break through this. And so, but at the moment, there's a, there's nearly like a cut, cut, kind of ideological cartelization. So they're all doing the same recipes. Yeah. They're all encouraging themselves to do the similar recipes. And you don't have to show, of course, it has to be in an advanced place, a backward place. It's not going to be effectively challenging, even mm. if they do, if they grow fast. So, uh, both on a national level, I was sometimes thinking independent Scotland going left, going crushing, reformation itself. And they, but London could be a great place to, to, to mm. break through. Yes. They will run away and, and look, the provinces, they then have to shape up or they, they could move to London. Uh, London would be much more affordable at that yeah. point. Would it though? Because you're increasing the demand for a single place. And I think it's fine to... Yeah, but the, that place supply, those increasing supply res respectively. And, and then it finds it's an equilibrium. Maybe then there's a kind of sub-center emerging mm. or Birmingham has a chance or there becomes a conurbation. Uh, I think the problem is right now, um, yeah, it's just not happening. And we have a big project hold up over it's nearly two and a half years in planning mm. we finally got planning and then the central government calls it in and it's going to be another year so there's so many projects like this and bishop yes goodyard which has been not developed for 25 years i mean i looked actually at the rejection um right up it's it doesn't stand up to any scrutiny it's a bunch of i don't know what empowers them to 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 
trash such a work, a fully mm. worked up plan, the high density, new, new kind of mixed use project because it doesn't fit into the character mm. of Hackney. Well, they, they this think is, that. This is Liverpool Street. And yeah. some kind of Hackney councillor says it doesn't fit our ca- characters, maybe gentrifying. There's a bit of light overcast on, on a bunch of buildings where a, a, a few characters uh, 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 might or might not uh, uh, like to look at the new skyline. I mean, there, there is there's atrocious absence of rationale. This deserves to be kind of, mm. um, um, I mean, it's illegitimate. And uh, there's so many examples. I mentioned also in the text that's the example of, 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 of a kind of Asda car park and supermarket in, in, on, the, on the Isle of Dogs. This is nimbyism of the worst order. Um, and it's, and, and all these standards and the standards, as I said, under the Groni talks, so the first thing is the restrictions is there's a land use plans freezing up plots, which are dedicated to office or commercial are frozen up. Yeah. Central government tried to come in with rights of development rights and all the boroughs had the opt out chance to opted out everything. Mm. So here's a freezing up there. Then it comes to residential. Um, you can see the distortion that sometimes these sites, the land values are permitted land values and they have been increasing gigantically as multi, no, multiple of GDP where it was only half of GDP, all the permitted land values. Why? Because this, this restrictiveness, it's an artificial political scarcity of land, mm. not only with, in, in, because it's land at all, the density, some lands are not, are ever not per- permitted. Uh, like Bishop's Goodyard, uh, but also what you can do. So, instance, that you, on this side, you can only do commercial, whereas residential, the pressure is like fourfold. You mm. have fourfold value multiples sometimes on the, on, an, on on equal sides, which according to the market, collocationally, the same. They should have the same price. So, so that's where we start. But then you have um, all these restrictions of the overall density, which I think usually imagine easily doubling up every development here in terms of volume and then you can a half average unit size if you allow for co-living even much more stronger you get at least four times to maybe six times population density on these same sites and they would still be desirable eminently marketable and this is prevented in the name of affordability but a lot of people would only be able to afford these mm. more denser, smaller places. Now, we have 440 people working here. None is ever eligible for social rent, including receptionists who make more, much more than that. So most of the affordability is going into, this is, these are, let's say, I think they're, they're key worker. Key worker is a kind of mm. pretense phrase. All of our people are key workers. Okay? <laughs> uh, there's nothing for them. Then it comes to the intermediate part. Which is, it's actually only our senior associates and associates can afford it because there's a minimum of 45, 50, something that literally mm. as conditions of entering that. Mm. So you suddenly you give, you give, well, so, so, so it's an absolute pretense affordability system. And that makes a huge delay and a huge difficulty, particularly as you change it, as you ramp up to 50. It's holding up all sorts of projects, yeah. but it's not helping anybody. The reality is, so you're saying, in a single apartment, it has to be 50 square meter and it has to be only eight units on the size. It has to, it has no overlooking and so on. So that is decent living 
and I make it affordable. That's a lie. That's a, it's 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 ridiculously absurd notion. It, it stands up to no scrutiny. In the meantime, and you're saying everything that is, and I'm talking about standard. Oh, you, you create rabbit hatches. People living in rabbit hatches now. And you, you don't give them better chances because all of these people, where they're living, they're living in yeah. flat shares. They're sharing a mm. flat and they have a former kitchen or, or, or bedroom as an apartment in a council house, which was kind of right to buy. Yeah. Um, so so the, the, the discourse is highly uh, dishonest uh, because these recipes are indefensible and the risks you're talking about and there, the, 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 um, what we're talking about is, you know, for instance, giving permit to these four co-living applications which the collective has running and sitting on and offering this product into the market. And who's going to be hurt by, or who's benefited by holding these up? Mm. I mean, there is, we're not, you know, this, London is not going to kind of become a, a Mumbai slumland. <laughs> I mean, well, it's, it's the same <laughs> argument as the sort of the Uber and the Ryanair argument, isn't it? That by allowing a reduction in sort of minimum standards, you actually open up access to so many more people who can then afford to access a service that they couldn't yeah. access before. Yeah. But I think that's like I said, I don't, I can't really think of many criticisms of that side of it. The side where I would try and play devil's advocate as well is the yeah. protection of existing property owners say so say you want to build a skyscraper right next to somebody's two bed mm. uh, detached house in the suburbs or something like what do you think is going to be the appropriate mechanism to ensure accountability and ensure that inappropriate things aren't built that most logical people would okay, agree are inappropriate look, the, the, there's there's always going to be some kind of gradual transformation of ownership rights okay now we seem to we have established some kind of an ownership rights through the political mechanism, which is nimbiistic. My district, I need to be, I can't prevent everybody else here. And, and, but, but ownership rights migrate and change. If that's unhealthy, that needs to be start discursively challenged and could be eroded that this kind of right to prevent in my neighborhood, this transformation, mm. because I kind of, it's my neighborhood and we collectively own that. So I, that could be challenged. But one can also work with it. Uh, uh, I think it ultimately should be challenged because there's lots of, in many ways, ownership rights. Also, if you, you own a company, there's been many constraints on this, maybe far too many, which erode ownership right, which is effective control over directing resources and, 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 and activities and so on. So, but I think in, in the residential, there's a kind of strangely, also, let's say council tenants have a kind of strange sense of, they're treated as owners. Uh, or tenants treated more and more like owners. I mean, there's something about freezing up too much. So where you, you, you protecting, but then the overall, in, it's a kind of subcollective, which, mm. uh, which, which, which allows to freeze up the overall so that you can't build even a, a runway anymore in, in, in the UK. So, so that, but, but I wanted to come back. <coughs> so in terms of ownership that should be eroded, you should allow more freedom and you shouldn't have that. Um, if you wanted to have a dynamic, thriving metropolis, an integrated labor market, there's productivity for everybody, uh, enhancement for everybody. And yes, you would then have to suffer the fact that something is close by um, uh, 
undermining the value of your house or undermining the, the view you were, were used to. You know, it's trade-offs, give and take. Yeah. But there's an interesting guy, there's a movement called Yimbi, who, yeah. you know this guy? Yeah, so yes, he, in my he, backyard. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he said, okay, we can do another way, slightly more palatable perhaps, give the right not to individuals, uh, but make little kind of groups like a street. And he was thinking, and he's, you know, also very constrained, he's kind of, you have the main street and the side streets, which usually have the two-story row of, of terrace houses and give street by street the right to say we upgraded into a kind of Georgian six to five story. Yeah. It's like a micro-democratization, isn't it? Yeah. Look, any other such ideas of, 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 of showing, making, making tests, making, releasing things. I mean, the, the right, the development right thing was quite interesting. Curiously, they have no standards on the development right. I'm sure you're aware of this. So if you, if we get, have a permission to convert this into residential, we could make, we can have no standard restrictions. We can make the units as small as we like. And, 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 um, and it shows also that there's a market for such, for such things. And of course, the first mover, once you have frozen up, the first mover have windfalls. Once you, once you, um, uh, allow, um, small units in the market. At the first, they will be overpriced. There will be super profits, but they will be rolled quickly, and, and and then you have a first move advantage temporarily because there's been so no supply of this, and physically a thirty square meter, uh, twenty five square or twenty square meter unit is is half of cost on the uh, then a forty one, which is now the minimum, mm. uh, and then you can you can. But people are, would be very happy to pay kind of, let's say, the equivalent of what would be laid on a 30 square meter. Mm. So, and now actually small units, they are sold very, and rented very close, a 20 square meter flat on the barbecue and is sold, is rented a very, very close uh, rent to 40 because people just, they don't care about, they want yeah. to be here and later on this will all be evened out. So, so there's this fear. One has to think through multiple steps and, um, and remake some risk taking. If the, if all hell breaks loose, I will be the last to not see the say. Okay, if, if I was had a wrong hypothesis, you call the plug on this, right? mm. or you bring back something. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, I'm not talk, you know, it's, it's how huge is the risk? But at the moment, we're just um, frozen up. I mean, yeah. the GLA is now looking at co-living uh, because it's such been such a great place at the collective. I'm sure. But they may, they're doing it the wrong way. They, they own, they don't allow it without regulatory freezing it right away. And we're just in the discovery process where they're still discovering how large these units should be, how many amenities work. We're actually measuring for them, utilization with sensors, et cetera. What's the mix uh, of, you know, free co-working? Should we have, they have a kind of, for instance, a, a bed linen service. And, and, and various things on the, the GLA is kind of onto this and they wanted to make obligatory the bed linen service. And they want to freeze the unit sizes. Yeah. They want to free, give minimum uh, amenity spaces to make it. I mean, this paternalist protectionism, I don't know. It's just false and wrong. Uh, let them tease out where, in, and there might be versions where there's less amenities and, and the amenities are the McDonald's around the corner. I mean, yeah. it's not. You know, it's not dehumanizing. I mean, I, I know it can't be because I lived in a former, uh, in Brixton, in a former kitchen. Uh, uh, this was my flat mm. with a shared toilet. <laughs> and 40% of New York apartments are 
illegal according to the current standards. The people living in them. Yeah. So to to pretend uh, uh, that that the prevention of this uh, product is the, is kind of the prevention of living conditions, some councillor finds um, unlivable, but people living it mm. <laughs> because they make choices. I mean, and to not allow the market to tease that out and would make that make make that much more healthy because now we have these the the people who are coming and have to squeeze in the existing council flats or or, or whatever uh, terrace houses i used to live we all the shared terrace houses in in uh, with, with, with 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 you know shared living and whether it's in flats or in terrace houses i mean through until i finally could afford um, an apartment i mean that's that's not um um should I say dehumanizing? Yeah, I don't feel. I never felt dehumanized. No, <laughs> I was in London. I chose to be in London. And I had in Stuttgart. I had a much much larger, you know, luxurious uh, flat with a car in the yard, mm. and and I chose London, yeah. and I never regretted it. Yeah. All right. Um, well, one last thing before yeah. we wrap this up. Um, okay. Going back to your own work, I've sure. always been curious about why it is that you have such a sort of monotonal color palette in all of your work. Why why is everything white? And it's, it's, I don't know sort of what your theoretical justification is for this, There's but I'd be re- really curious. None. I wanted colorful. <laughs> is it just it, a personal preference? It's, no, it's, 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 there's so many funds one could kind of work on. We, we love to develop a, a more richer material palette. Um, any, any, um, um, it's not, it's not an ideological stance. Mm. Well, it's very sad to see that the, um, stadium, the wooden stadium got, yeah. um, yeah. refused because I, from the renderings, I thought that was absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Um, and I personally, I think that when you combine the kind of form finding that you do here with sort of rich material and color palette yeah. as well, that's when you get a really, really integrated effect. We definitely beauty. want it. It's, I mean, it's, it's tougher. It's more complex to, 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 to deal with the handle. Uh, we like, um, and, and every firm and, and individual has a kind of personal style as a kind of, I would say, as a negative default because you have, you, you're not infinitely versatile. Mm. So, 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 and that makes you a bit recognizable. You're called out a little bit. The, I see personal styles as limitations simply because you've invested a number of skills and repertoires and, and, and you have to repeat to some extent. Mm. And you don't have the time and energy, and and that's why we also need you know schools to and it takes longer to build a new repertoire, and then in the end it comes in, and in the meantime the kind of more oiled machine is geared towards routine, and a lot of yeah. my work is to kind of inject well, them you, off. So so it's not a choice to to we would love to be much more versatile. Mm. Well, do you think you need a sort of fifth album kind of equivalent that's completely different to your previous work? To sort of experiment with alternatives. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, 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 that's also um, uh, something I would I would enjoy. I mean, because mm. there's a tendency, I think, in large practices to get the sort of the in-house style, effectively, and clients yeah. start coming to you because they want the in-house style. Yeah, Zaha always hated that. I don't like that. Uh, it's it's there's a pressure both from clients and sometimes from a kind of self-routinization where where the staff themselves look up all these the, the earlier projects. To interrupt that, I mean, originality is tough. It's uh, mm. it's uh, all. I mean, it doesn't be totally original. I mean, uh, but uh, the development of that paradigm. So, so I'm very happy to be recognizable as parametricism. 
but I don't want to be recognized as a solid architects project. So if you mm. put a project out, yes, permanentism for sure or tectonism, if that phrase catches on, should be identified. But if they if they can easily spot the solid architects, mm, then then <laughs> I mean it's maybe difficult to avoid. But well, you've got a long way between you and the next sort of next competitor in terms of style. So yeah, okay. Well, thank you very much. It's been an excellent conversation, and right, I look you. forward to seeing all your Thanks future your, work. Thanks for your prompting and patience and. Um, <laughs> Giving the platform. Brilliant. Thanks. Thank you very much.